Hey guys, what's up? It is week 128, and I want to start this off right off the bat. Uh, yesterday or last night, this is like a week previous. These are recorded a week previous, remember that. Um, I was screwing around on YouTube streaming, and for some reason my queue had my old video in it. So I was watching stuff, and I deleted it off my queue, week 126, the interview with Fred Vogel. And it completely deleted it off my channel, so I re-upped it so they're not in order anymore. The um, 126 was doing fairly well, of course, because I had an interview with Fred Vogel on a big update, so it's re-uploaded. I lost all the views, all the comments, so if you're not seeing your comments there, sorry. Uh, it sucks, but it's back up and not in order anymore in the YouTube feed, so I, I put it on the headlining channel, so if you're wondering what the hell's going on, that's what happened. I apologize again. I'm an idiot, and be careful when you're streaming from YouTube. If you delete off your queue, you can sometimes accidentally delete off your channel, so yeah, there's that. I guess we're going to start with the um, Creep Show, episode four. Okay, it was two shorts in here again. The first one was Companion. I love this one. This one is the most Creep Show out of all of them, to be honest. It felt the most like Creep Show to me. Uh, it had like a scarecrow element in there. I loved it. The lighting was perfect. The setup was perfect. The Just Desserts was perfect. A little catchphrase came back in there like they did with something that tied you over. It just, it's better than anything in Creep Show 2 for sure. Uh, Really enjoyed this one. Thought it was great. Uh, it has this nice mythology about it, about a creation of a monster, which I thought was unique. Nice setting, like I said. Takes place in the 80s. Has like a fall nice setting. Essentially what happens is this uh, this kid is beaten by his brother. He kind of runs away and he ends up stumbling in this farmhouse. And he takes out this cane that's like put in a scarecrow's heart. He rips it out to protect himself. And what happens is this weird scarecrow. It's not really a scarecrow. It's made with like a weird bones and all these things. And this like felt heart comes to life. And you realize that it was some weird kind of uh, thing that came to life. You don't really know why. But it, it was an old man's wife that he missed so much came to life. And, and and essentially it goes exactly where you want it to go. I love that the the scarecrow when it walks around it has like this purple light that follows it. And it has these weird like root tentacles. It's really cool. kind of reminds me of something like Night of the Scarecrow as well. Which is an underrated scarecrow movie um but this one was great uh perfect if they have a couple more like this i'll say the series was pretty much a hit loved it um the second episode in here is pretty good too um feels very creep show feels very, very romero like high class dog eat dog world getting their comeuppance um has these kind of lesbian like power couple and one is like you know a huge businesswoman and she passes on her his girl her his girl her girlfriend to give the uh, promotion to somebody else because she doesn't want her girlfriend leaving her wants to have her by her side this kind of upsets the girlfriend and through a, kind of an argument she ends up dying during like a big earthquake and they get trapped in the elevator and uh, starts to kind of play tricks on them this one's pretty cool come up it's pretty decent stuff well acted good production value in this one it seemed a lot more expensive than some of the other ones so i would recommend checking out episode four pretty damn great okay we're gonna hop into the first review and it is from arrow films of course and this is the dead center this is a new horror film uh, arrow films doesn't typically do contemporary horror but when they do they're usually interesting um like the movie ghoul which i thought was pretty unique and i could have swore 
I was like, this one is 100% going to be an English movie because Arrow's an English company. No, it is an American one. Um, first and foremost, it opens up with like an overhead shot, like a showing the cars, a hospital, drive, an ambulance, and it ends that way too. So I thought that was really neat with the overhead shots. Um, the acting is top notch in this one. It's an adult horror movie, which I like. Adult characters, uh, psychological, which I like. It takes place in a hospital, which I like. It has a deep mythology and a mystery to it, which is also intriguing. Uh, this one's really recommended. I think that I um, I got I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed that they have depth. What happens is. This kind of, um, it's really weird. So this person commits suicide. They get put into, uh, the, basically the death ward, you know, for ready for their autopsy. They get up, they walk away, they go into the hospital, lay in a bed and no one knows where this patient came from. Nobody knows that he had just killed himself. And there's kind of two storylines going on here. We have the doctor trying to figure out who he is and what's going on with him. And they realize there's some supernatural kind of elements going on where they realize, uh, where they find out who his family was and he came from a burned house, his house had burned down and his father, everybody just seems really weird about the whole situation. And there's a cop who's trying to figure out where this missing body went. He starts to kind of unveil all these things so these two are leading to this guy and they got to get to him before something tragic happens and something completely ridiculous uh like not i mean ridiculous as in unrealistic and horror oriented which i really liked um there's a cool mythology and almost biblical tear in this which kind of came out of a little bit of left field but in a good way like a good surprise and it, it earned it it was really cool um the lead um bad guy or i guess the guy who they're looking at the john doe is a tremendous actor he's a tremendous presence i like his look it's a very unique look and the lead doctor is in a couple other things. I think he's a filmmaker himself, and he's really good as well. So I like seeing both of them. I thought they were great. And uh, like I said, I like movies that take place in a hospital. And this movie was deeply personal, and you can tell. The director had dealt with somebody who committed suicide, a friend of theirs, and he had to make this movie to do it. And this comes from a short that he made originally, which is also on the disc. There's an in-depth making of that has interviews with a bunch of the people. They go back to the sets, and they're all kind of walking around, and a couple times they're busting each other's balls. Really enjoyed seeing that as well. There's... Um, um, on-set interviews, there's deleted scenes. It's a good-looking movie. It's a good story. It's a solid horror mystery psychological thriller with a really cool, uh, you know, twist in here. Not even a twist. Really cool story. Would recommend this one. Uh, very, very well made and uh, definitely worth your time. The Dead Center. Nothing helps here. I'm not getting better. I'm gonna die. You're gonna die. He's an emergency psychiatric ward. We can only keep patients for a short amount of time. You are afloat on a sea. The waves are calm. Do you know why you came to be here? I died, and I came back. Listen to me. Did you hurt someone? I want to see my son right now! When this thing gets what it wants, you won't be able to stop it. No one will. I know you're scared. What the hell happened in there? We're all calm here. Say it! Nothing's gonna hurt you. What is it that's inside of me?
I mean, this one is a doozy from Arrow Films. What can I say about this movie? American Werewolf in London by John Landis. Starring uh, Dave Naughton and Jenny Agutter and some other people. Rick Mile has a little small role in here. So American Werewolf in London made in 81. Uh, this is probably the best werewolf movie ever made for me. I think it's great. Um, it's a horror comedy. A lot of people say like, you know, it, it, like he'll say John Landis. It's a horror movie with comedy in it. Okay. It's a horror movie and it is horror first. No doubt. There's, and I, I don't know why I'm going to go into this and not talk about the movie right away, but there's horror comedy and there's comedy horror to me. Horror comedy. American Morrow from London, Return of the Living Dead. Comedy horror, Shaun of the Dead, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. So, you know, the movies can actually have to be scary. And by God, American Werewolf London is really scary, but also in that thrilling kind of roller coaster way where I jump and I'm, and there's different kinds of scares. Like I said, there's the jumping scare because the editing is so perfect and what they cut to is almost like playful but also terrifying. What we have here is a couple Americans, uh, Jewish Americans. They kind of make a big deal out of it. They kind of make it in the special feature. So I'll mention that they're two Jewish Americans that go to England to kind of go hiking and whatnot. They're close friends. They have a great back and forth. Yeah, actually immediately kind of like these characters, especially how they talk to each other like real friends and they seem like decent guys. Um, they want to go out and have fun. They're arguing and they end up basically stumbling into this small Universal or Hammer Whore Town. They're on the moors, and the bar they go into is called The Slaughtered Lamb. It's freezing, and this is straight out of one of these Hammer Universal movies where they're like, oh, and they start kind of warning. It's all superstitious, kind of people don't want to talk about it, and they kind of realize they're not welcome there, so they leave, and they realize something else is going on. Of course, there's a werewolf on the moors that attacks them, um, kills uh, the one friend, but Dave Naughton is bitten, and uh, that's one of the scariest jump scares, I guess you would consider it. This movie has a lot of jump scares, and when people say jump scares are crap, it's like, no, those movies are just crap, and they don't use them well. Um, in American Warfare in London, they're perfect. And the way they do that, they set it up, and they build suspense before they do it. So it's earned scares. They're earned scares. You're scared before you even get to the jump scare, which is the kind of way that it's a good jump scare. You know what I mean? And American Warfare in London does that perfectly. So um, what happens is, of course, he's in the hospital in England, where we see a nice little Frank Oz cameo in here. And... Uh, the nurse kind of starts a relationship with him. There's a doctor in here too. He's one of the major characters in the movie. Really nice character. Really, he has some very funny dialogue where he says something on the phone to somebody. He says, "Oh, I don't want to meet that guy." And like, he's like, "I'll survive. I survive Rommel in the desert." Uh, and you're just like, "Oh, it's so great. That's so British, you know, then, that the English fought the Nazis in Africa and during World War II." It's just like John Landis is such a smart guy, and he knows his history and uh, all that kind of thing. So it plays into it. Um, you know, I wonder sometimes people that don't know history and I'm not the history buff I just know a little bit you know I know that but um, just watching movies and stuff like they must not really enjoy movies as much if you don't have like any kind of education so much to a certain extent like those little nice little things and touches in there like make the characters a little bit more rich and whatnot and this doctor character is actually an intriguing one to me instead of being like that's nonsense when Naughton starts to come out and say he could be a werewolf or something's wrong or the stories don't line up with what the small town says he actually looks into it and I like that and he approaches it in an intelligent way way and a realistic way and I like his kind of look into the story as well um, I love the um, nurse Jenny Agutter she's beautiful and she's gorgeous she's a great character I really like the chemistry that David Naughton and her have together it's it's really well done um, the werewolf transformation of course because David Naughton starts to have these nightmares which is again is another cliche thing or thing that's become cliche where a character has nightmares and there's some of the ultimate scary scenes in the movie Nazi werewolves that's all I'm going to say perfect um, so basically they start a relationship 
relationship after he's discharged from the hospital. And of course, he is a werewolf and he goes out at night and uh, uh, and kills people. But he doesn't know how it happened, similar to the Wolfman or Wolf with Jack Nicholson, any werewolf story. But there's a nice little uh, added touch in here. Um, like he is haunted by the people he's killed or people that have died due to this uh, werewolf curse and he has to die to stop the curse. So he's being haunted by his best friend, which is very comical and he's rotting as he as it progresses and he comes back more and all the people that he's killed as well. So, and they all have big personalities. It's just uh, perfect. And, and it's shot in London in 81. So uh, there's lots of great, you know, looking set pieces, not even set pieces. They're actually London. So downtown, you see all the lights and everything like that. And there's an amazing... A uh, chaotic scene where the werewolves in downtown, and I'm just like, oh my god, I can't believe they done, did that. And the way a bunch of the things that happened there, I was jumping and like shrieking. And I've seen this movie dozens of times, so I'm like, oh, it still works every time I watch it, which is also um, an amazing thing about it. The soundtrack is tremendous. They play with it, Bad Moon Horizon, Blue Moon, all those kind of songs you'd expect of werewolf movies, or or didn't until you saw this movie. So they kind of play with that. It's just really a damn perfect movie. There's not much I can say about it that's negative. Rick Baker's special effects are great. It's got one of the greatest transformation scenes. The werewolf looks like a freaking monster. It is a monster. It's not just a humanoid with contacts in his eyes or anything like that. And, uh, you know, I'm not bagging on the Wolfman, of course. I think that's one of the best makeups and monsters of all time. I'm saying, like, you know, like the wolf or something like that. It's like, that's kind of a cheap werewolf, you know, because they didn't want to cover Jack Nicholson's face with makeup, but still cheap, cheap uh, for the fans, at least, that love monsters. So this is a real monster. Dave Naughton is a very uh, sympathetic character. You like him. There's a really tough moment when he calls home to his family before everything you know shit hits the fan it's just perfect it's a really damn perfect movie i can't recommend it enough there's nothing wrong with it as far as the special features are concerned all the old stuff i believe is ported over which is nice there's a new commentary on there which is really cool about a guy the guy who wrote the american werewolf in london book which is enormous and out of print so yeah if you want to hear him talk about the movie he goes into depth there's a nice little video about props on here about the coats and everything how they import the coats and there's an amazing new documentary on here about um, the history of werewolves. It's like an hour and 17 minutes. You see people like Peter Atkins, who wrote some of the Hellraiser movies in here. Uh, other people, tons of people in here. I believe Joe Dante was in here. Mick Garris pops up. Of course, Mick Garris, Joe Dante. And uh, they're always in these kind of things, and they're always welcome. Um, so, yeah, uh, just tons of people that uh, know their film history and filmmakers. Um, so they go in the all the starting, all the very way in the beginning from literature, going into the Universal movies and everything, and talking about Long Chain, and Long Cheney, I meant Long Cheney Sr. to Long Cheney Jr. about everything like that. When they get into Long Cheney Jr., they talk a lot about his father and stuff like that and how he portrayed the Wolfman and his relationship with the father kind of was like reminiscent of, you know, that haunted kind of thing in him, which is just such a wonderful, touching story. Regardless, this is a damn great release. It looks freaking good. It sounds good. It's got great features. Uh, it's just perfect, to be honest, and it makes you really appreciate werewolf movies more because they're, when they're great, they're freaking amazing but there's just not that many great ones let's be honest i mean we have this one the howling dog soldiers the wolfman uh you know there's just a handful of great werewolf movies and the mythology is so rich and awesome and they talk also about how the wolfman basically was a lot of that mythology it wasn't from the books that were written about it it was came from the freaking wolfman but uh you know Lon Chaney uh, Jr. was so so great. They even talk about his performance in *Of Mice and Men*, which I remember loving as a kid. But yeah, highly recommend *American Werewolf in London* from Arrow Films. Great release, great movie. Uh, yeah, just really cool.
Did you hear that? I heard that. What was it? Could be a lot of things. Yeah? A coyote. There aren't any coyotes in England. I'm sorry I'm upsetting you, David, but you don't understand what's going on. I understand, all right. You're one of the undead, and I'm a werewolf. Yes, that's right. David, don't! I'm going to the police! Jack was right! Jack is dead! Yeah, Jack is dead, and six people are dead. There's gonna be a full moon tonight. I'm going to the cops! Oh, be serious, would you? Oh! You can't let them go. Should the world know our business? It's murder, then. Then murder it is. Excuse me. I'm a werewolf. A werewolf? Naked American men stole my balloons. What? Hey guys, what's up? Uh, Jeremy's gonna sit in on a few reviews. <laughs> I forced him to because he watched them with me and I thought it'd be more interesting. Alright, the first one we're gonna talk about is Ring. The Japanese Ring. Ringu. Some people call it Ringu, but in the special features they tell you, don't call it Ringu, call it The Ring. Because it's written in Katakana, Ringu. Okay. You can, we'll put it right down here. Alright. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, this is the Era Edition, and, um, when was this made? Like, 98, 99? Like, late 90s, yeah. 97, yeah. I think. And then it was made, remade in the United States, and this giant takeoff of Japanese ghost stories. It was, it kind of, like, was the catalyst for all these Japanese ghost stories in the United States remakes and in Japan. So we had The Grudge, we had Dark Water, we had Pulse, we had numerous. Uh... I had always avoided this movie because when it came out, I was like 11, 12, and I was thinking, I don't like ghost stories, and I didn't want to jump into the Japanese horror movies because I was a dumb little hating kid, and that was just like another can of worms I'd have to open. So when I finally did watch it at 33 years old, I got to say, um, I recently rewatched Pulse, too, or watched Pulse for the first time. I loved this movie. I thought it was a great movie, and I knew I would at this point. Um, I thought it was much stronger than Pulse. Um, the story of the ring... 
Now, it is a ghost story, but it really kind of plays out more like a Japanese giallo mystery, like kind of solving this crime, but they're racing against the clock to save their own lives. Do you want to tackle the storyline of this one, or... Um, well, I think everybody knows the story, so you watch a movie, it's... Like, like, it's like a random VHS, and it's like, what, what, what 30 Yeah, but I mean, long? by the setup of this movie, like, we have a reporter whose uh, niece died from this videotape, and there's, like, this kind of weird mythology, kind of weird, like, uh, mm-hmm. urban legend going around the school and going around the city that these kids watched this tape and died. So she starts to dig into it and find out that everybody that watched this tape on that day did actually die a mysterious death. So she, and they all died with their mouths open in a very creepy way. Being a reporter, she wants to get to the bottom of the story. She has a daughter that she takes care of that she leaves at home alone. She's divorced and she used to be married to this guy who had this weird kind of supernatural touch with yeah. things. It's a, it's a son that she leaves at home, not a daughter. Okay, yes, you're um, right. It is the son, son does have a cousin. Yeah. Um, and that's and where her she niece. was, that's and that's niece. Benice. Yeah, yeah and so she, she's the one that died. She yeah. thinks that it's a suicide cult or a suicide yeah. pact. So she starts to dig into it, and she finds the last videos of everything where they were, and it leads her to this cabin where she finds the tape. And of course, to you know, I guess she watches the tape because what's going to happen? It's a freaking VHS tape. This is nonsense. And uh, she starts to dig deeper. She brings in her ex-husband. He watches the tape. And they kind of realize that this thing is probably true. And they want to get down to the bottom of what caused this, who the people in the video are. And it leads them down this rabbit hole of weirdness. Yeah, there's, there's like certain clues in the actual tape. Um, at one point they have like a, like the kanji for explosion, I think it is. Yeah, like eruption. eruption. Um, which leads them to volcano. To a volcano. Leads... So they check every, like all the volcanic activity within like the past 50 years it's a small island off the coast they go and since it's the 90s they have to go through all these like microfilm of newspapers and yes stuff. It's, yeah and they're beating the clock because they only have seven days and the, the structure of this movie is what makes it great and figuring yeah. out what happened is what makes it great and at point it gets the esp which is very common in japanese films they put it in all the godzilla movies and things mm-hmm. and even by then usually i'd like this is a little too silly but by then i'm so invested and interested i really enjoyed it the look of the movie is damn damn very good it looks Mm -hmm. very good and watching this for the first time i was like man it follows sure isn't as original as i thought it was now is it i really didn't i thought that it follows definitely was heavily inspired by the ring is it to stop the curse we don't do you want to spoil that there is a way to stop it yeah there is a way to stop and it's very much like a curse should be stopped you can't just get rid of the curse you have to pass it on yeah. Um, I thought it was really well made. And of course, there's a couple twists in here with her son that are really terrifying. And there's like some scary stuff in here. Of course, coming out of the television is very memorable. Coming out of the well is very memorable. Mm-hmm. It's just a very visually memorable film. I love the look of it from the late like 90s Japan. In America, the films look like shit, but in Japan, they look great for some reason. Well, I, I like the way Japan looks at this time in like the late 90s. Yeah. Um, especially when you're watching like anime from that time period and you see like the whole slice of life genre um japan just seems really cool in like the late 90s early 2000s 
Yeah, um, the special features are amazing on here. You you didn't see them all, but you heard some of it. Mm-hmm. Like they had like an in depth all these experts talking about the ring and the impact it had. Rebecca McKendry was on there from Shockwaves, Doctor Rebecca McKendry, which was really interesting, and a bunch of other people's. And they brought and, and it was super fucking interesting. They brought like the the like the timeline of the ring, like how they had Spiral and like the Ring Two and then Ring Zero and the remakes and all these things. They go into the history of that. Really interesting stuff. Cat Ellinger has a nice little featurette on here as well. It's just like the best of the business and the people that are really good at their job, they brought in. There's also a nice commentary on here. And they argue about Ring versus Ringu, the pronunciation. Uh, I will defend Ringu. Um, And I guess this is one of those things where it's like when you watch anime, do you call it by the translated title or do you call it by its Japanese title? I'm trying to think how that would be. It'd be similar to like Alex Trebek when he reads Spanish or French that he actually puts the, like how he does out loud, you know what I mean? And I, says it in their accent and puts the in what do they call those? M, the damn fucking little weird. Well, I, I think it's closer to like when people say like, I'm going to watch Boku no Hero Academia. We're talking about My Hero Academia. Some yeah. people say, well, you should say Boku no because that's the actual Japanese title, Boku no Hero Academia. Yeah. Or you could say, my Hero Academia, so you can say Ring, or you can say it the Japanese way as it's written in Katakana Ringu. Um, Would it be like me saying, I want to watch Zamba? Well, Z-O-M-B-I? Zimbi! I mean, if that's how they, if that's uh, how they it's say It's spelled it. that way. Yeah, I'm trying to, like, is there like an Italian movie or a Spanish movie? That's what I'm saying, Zombie is spelled yeah. Z-O-M-B-I. I don't know the Italian pronunciation. It's actually Zombie too, but... You yeah. know, it's Z-O-M-B-I spelled in a lot of ways. So if it's called Zombie 2 in Italy, then you should probably call it Zombie 2 here. Or do you just say zombie? You just say zombie because it's zombie here. Yeah. I mean, that's Dawn of the Dead in Italy is Dawn of the Dead. It's zombie. Yeah, and, and that's, and that's what, you know, in, in Italy, you know, do they call it Dawn of the Dead or do they call it zombie? Well, I mean, we got to be clear here. Um, so, I mean... In, in Europe, I don't know. Yeah, in Italy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's an argument that's kind of stupid, and who cares? I care. I can speak Japanese, kinda, which is um interesting because when I had first seen this movie, was like late in high school, or in college, and I I think I, if I re- remember watching this one, there was a place down in Columbus where it was a Japanese market, and they had like a bunch of bootleg VHSs you could rent from yeah. them, and I rented this one, um, and watched it just, and I had never seen. I think the English one just came out. Yeah, I never saw the English one so. around that, and I had never seen it. But I'm like, well, let's let's check this out then. And so I had watched it, and you know, the version I had was a bootleg, and then B non-subtitled, and and I don't have been saying Japanese at this point for like five years. I didn't quite know exactly. But yeah, was it re interesting watching it again? It was interesting because like. I understand more of what's going on and like, you know, because before you're just watching the images and like I hear a few keywords like, oh, there's psychics. And um, in this, was this a Toei or a Toho? Was it a Toei? This one was Toho. Okay. What, what strikes me as weird is I swear the boat they're using in this movie to get to the island is the boat they used in a million of these movies I saw in the 70s. Was this one Toho? I can't remember. Whatever. I've seen that boat before and I yeah. I have. Yeah. But uh, re- really recommend this one. I mean, it's a classic. It looks great. I'll be. I'm gonna check out um, parts two and Ring Zero next week for sure. So you guys be ready for that, and I will be ready to watch them. You good? Uh, I'm good. Yeah. 
最近結構噂されてるビデオ見たから見終わったら電話がかかってきてお前は一週間後に死ぬ突然の心臓停止ってことしか普通の死に方じゃないわよみんな同じ日に死んだのこんな死に方初めて見たよ The next one on the、uh, slate is Rob Zombie's Three from Hell. That's right. The slate. The slate. But, I guess.、Um, this is the third in a trilogy, of course House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, and now Three from Hell. We never thought we were going to get a third one, to be brutally honest. We probably didn't need a third one, to be brutally honest, because Devil's Rejects ends so wonderfully. This was recently made, and <clears throat> I've heard people that love it. I've heard people that hate it. I heard people say it's better than 31. And、uh, I will definitely agree it is much better than 31. <clears throat> It's an exploitation movie. It's a modern, it's an exploitation movie.、Uh, I remember loving, House, oh, loving Devil's Rejects and really liking House of a Thousand Corpses. Watching this one, it was by far the weakest of the three, but it also、mm-hmm. could have been the time it was made. It felt cheaper than the other ones. It takes place 10 years after the original. So what happens is the three、uh, from hell, we're going to keep this minimal spoilers if we can. Yeah.、Um, Sherry Moon Zombie, or Baby, Otis, and、um, Captain Spaulding all survive. Now they've been incarcerated for 10 years. And essentially. They escape to a certain extent. I don't, I don't want to necessarily say we're going to have mild spoilers. We're、yeah. going to have kind of spoilers in here somewhat. But they escape and kind of it turns into the somebody said bargain value of Devil's Rejects, and that's pretty much what it is. It hits beat for beat for beat for beat. They add in Richard Brake as Midnight Wolfman. And at first I was like, I, I don't know how I feel about him. But as it progressed, I actually really enjoyed him. He's kind of a movie obsessed cinephile, so Rob Zombie could obviously throw some movie lines in there and, and show what he loves, like Hunchback from Notre Dame and things like that. So that was kind of a nice touch.、Um, Bill Mosley hasn't missed a beat. He, stayed exact, he acted exactly the same as the other movies. I felt like he was the same. I didn't particularly care for Bill Mosley. I felt like he just felt. He was very jovial in this. He almost he was reminding me of、uh, Santa Claus. Really? I don't know why. Like, because, like. <laughs> I feel like he did exactly the same thing he did in the other movies. I feel that in the other movies he Not was. Not House, but Devils. It, it, yeah, I mean, in the other movies, I feel like he seems more threatening, more intimidating. And in this one. There's some of that, but like most of his stuff is him just、um, bickering with、um, Wolfman. Wolfman or、um, Baby. Baby, yeah. And I do think so too, to a certain extent, that he is more comedic, but I think that's because of he's with Richard Brake. But I do think that he sounds exactly the same,、he's, and his acting chops are pretty much the same. I, I would say he, he, he seems to be a very reactionary character in this. Like. I feel like he never opens a scene or opens a line. Like, every, like, he is only there to respond to either Baby or 
I feel like his, when you say that, I feel like his, not his intensity's gone, but his, the pre, the intensity of the whole movie's gone. Like, there's not, like, Devil's Rejects is like, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta right. go. Right. I don't feel like there is that here. There, there is, I feel like this movie was kind of unfocused. It, like, where one arc is, they tie up one arc and it's like, okay, I got an hour left, and they tap another arc and I got an hour left. Like, like, it's almost like episode episodic how it trans how it flows in it the one thing i really didn't care for was sid Haig was definitely on his last leg in this movie Mm -hmm. an r.i.p and in the beginning they try to tie in this whole manson kind of style cult thing and like they try to make these guys like american folk heroes or something like that and that whole idea doesn't work about the whole the whole speech he gives with the clown it just doesn't come across right and it doesn't like they're trying to make it like a political thing or somewhat like a movement and it just doesn't work at all like it's not very natural born killers but it doesn't handle it the same way it just doesn't handle it right to me mm-hmm. um that was a little iffy and i think that they could have done spalding different and more effective if they were only going to use him for that little bit i really think they could have used him better uh saying that like i didn't hate the movie i thought i was going to dislike it i was like i was going to be luke mediocre and i ended up enjoying the thing by the end mm-hmm. i laughed a couple times i was intrigued the whole time i was on the edge of my seat i wasn't bored i never checked the freaking time so that's a plus um i i liked um richard Brake, like i said and i really like sherry moon zombie in this mm-hmm. i felt like her being incarcerated for 10 years made her go nuts so she's just ridiculous a lot of people didn't like her in it but she's just nuts She's just over the top and silly. I will say I did like um, the ending acts more than I like some of the uh, beginning and middle stuff. Um, I didn't dislike it, but I was very indifferent, and I did get bored, and I didn't yeah. want it to end. Like, let's just wrap this up because um, my favorite part probably involves <laughs> Howard. Yeah, <laughs> they do the same thing they did with the Banjo Sullivan band, but with a clown. Like, they, they have this family kidnapped, and when Brian Posey walks in, they do the same thing with Clint Howard. Like, I'm telling you, this is beat for beat. Like, he was like, it's like he watched that movie and was like, this is what the people want, this is what the people love, I'm going to give them what they want. And he's trying to do that. It's fan service. I feel like it's fan service. Um, and, and Clint Howard's very funny in it, and I feel bad for him, terribly. And, like, the cameos like that are really fun, like Sean Whalen. Yeah. Uh, Danny Trejo's barely in it as well. But there's some nice cameos like that. I think Clint Howard and Sean Whalen are the best cameos. I, I Dee Wallace is amazing. Dee Wallace was amazing. I, I, I like the jail and the warden stuff, and I wish that that would have been the movie, yeah. rather than where it ends up going. Um, the whole Clint Howard scene, as much as I like that scene, and I like that character... It felt so out of place to me. I mean, can I talk about it? Is this going to spoil too much? Spoilers. Spoilers. It's not too much of a spoiler, but so it's like, it's four grown adults are, I guess, having a party, and it's just these four. It's like a dinner party, and they invite a clown over? Or the clown shows up. It's just, why, it's, why was the clown there? Did he have the wrong For address? entertainment, I guess, but these characters were so, like, uptight dicks that you can't see the entertainment being there like jeff daniels Phillips, jeff daniel phillips or what mm-hmm. is his name jeff phillips i can't think of his name but he's in a couple other movies i don't know he, what he was he was like playing a cartoon he was super weird the one yeah. he was strange and like his character never really found himself i don't think i i mean you know the, these guys are like 35 40 years old and they're inviting well, like, like 45 yeah they're inviting this clown over to entertain just them and their spouses and i'm like 
That is so weird. I, I wasn't alive. What, was, what does this take place? 70s? 88. 80, is this 78? years after 78. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was alive <laughs> in 88. We didn't invite clowns into our Your house. Your mom was a clown. Yeah, she was a clown. Oh, for a short while. I never knew. My whole life, I never knew until I was like 17 that she was a clown at all of our birthday parties. That's so weird. It's so weird. Um, <laughs> Her name was Mambo. I digress. Number five. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I'm indifferent to it. It's... At the end of the day, I, I did dig it. I did enjoy it myself. Um, and also, uh, Richard Edson's really funny, and I don't know <coughs> what he's doing. His character is so weird. And they end up in Mexico. It's very Western again, a yeah. Western exploitation style movie on the run. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel that people that absolutely adore these movies and wanted more will be happy. But it, uh, people that are like, it ruined Devil's Rejects. I can't even look at it the same. It's like, stop. That that stop and and like you know I don't know and maybe this is the case of thirty one too. It's like it's been ten years since I've watched these movies and have been in that mindset. Am I yeah. a different person than I was ten years ago? Like if this had just been released, you know, on the heels of Devil's Rejects, would I feel any different or not? I feel the same way too. Like I, I felt thirty one is his worst movie. I just don't yeah, think I it's particularly very good at all. Right. Well, this one I think is entertaining. I just you know. It added some things I like, but it really is just the the best of, like, done through, like, a six-dubbed tape or something like that. Yeah. It's worth watching if you like these. I like it. I would give it a recommend. I understand that other people will not like it, and I understand the complaints to a certain extent, but I think it's good, and I kind of dig it. You got anything else to say about it? I watch it if you want. Yeah. The search for the fugitives known as the Devil's Rejects resulted in a violent clash with police. Chances for survival are less than a million to one. There's no justice in this world. I am justice. They're trying to blame us, but we didn't do it. Free the three. Free the three. Free the three. Free the three. <laughs> now we can have a real day of the dead. <laughs> Any last words? Uh, uh, I still want a party. <laughs> I'm just a clown dancing for the sins of mankind. Avengers gone. <laughs> This is my death factory. And you are the product. I love it. Hello, America. Did you miss me? next one on the slate is the halloween tree um this is a ray bradbury story animated movie uh made in 1993 
I like Ray Bradbury. I'm familiar with Fahrenheit 451 and uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes, the books, and I've actually seen Something Wicked This Way Comes a dozen times. It's one of my favorite movies growing up. So he has a very unique kind of feel to his style. And um, he has, you know, the futuristic stuff. But this one is more in line with Something Wicked This Way Comes, where it's like whimsical Halloween, but also scary at the time. And the Halloween tree. Uh, this is really interesting. The voice actor in here that is most known is Leonard Nimoy, of course. Uh, and this is a strange story. Do you want to tackle what this plot is, or you want me to give the plot first? Um, we have like four friends. How yeah, four. Yeah, four friends who are going trick or treating, and their one friend is sick, and yep. they have to chase his ghost to find the true meaning of Halloween. And and all their costumes reflect something. So we have the witch, the mummy, the monster, and the skeleton. Mm-hmm. So they go through all these different times, and they learn something about Halloween. And Leonard Nimoy is one of these. He's a good character in here. What's his name? Mounds Ground or something like that. Yeah, Ground or, Mound. Something like that. But he's a character character that like yeah never know what his true like motives are is he bad is he good is he kind mm-hmm. of like out for himself but doesn't care about anybody else and i think that's kind of what he's going for so there's some really great animation in this like mm-hmm. the the halloween tree itself is a giant uh, tree with all these pumpkins growing on it mm-hmm. and uh there's souls and their friends has a soul it's in the pumpkin and he steals his own soul to escape and and grounds mount or whatever his name and leonard Nimoy is constantly trying to chase him and get the soul back so, and their son actually is appendix burst. I mean, the kid, their friend's appendix burst in real life. So he actually is possibly dying in real life and they're trying to save his soul. So throughout they go, they go to like the, the medieval time, not medieval times, the uh, Egyptian times, which mm-hmm. is kind of cool. And they see how they celebrate and respect their dead. And they go to days of the dead with the skeleton, which is also interesting. And they constantly run into troubles and must, each one must save the day by overcoming like their fears or whatever throughout the story. Yeah. Um, this one's pretty good. I, you know, it's when Bradbury writes for children. He, I think, he has a certain tone. It's like children aren't aware of like their own like mortality, mortality, or like the children are experiencing what they will in that time, what they will later become nostalgic for as an adult. Uh, he's very nostalgic. Yeah. In fact, the opening five minutes of this with the Ray Bradbury, I believe it's Ray Bradbury coming in and narrating, mm-hmm. tears my soul apart. It was a small town by a small river and a small lake in a small northern part of a Midwest state. There wasn't so much wilderness around that you couldn't see the town. On the other hand, there wasn't so much town around that you couldn't see and feel and touch the wilderness. The town was full of fences to walk on and sidewalks to skate on and the muted cries and laughter of boys and girls full of costumed dreams and pumpkin spirits preparing for the greatest night of the year, better than Easter, better than Christmas, Halloween. Like, in the, the Something Wicked This Way comes too when they, he's like narrating it, uh, the kid, it just makes me like nostalgic and sick to my stomach where like I immediately get sad. He has a feeling to his movies, like, especially This Way Comes and this, where I just immediately was sad and depressed, like, that, uh, like, and it's such the perfect nostalgic thing as Halloween for kids. Like, there's Mm -hmm. nothing cooler than Halloween. Nothing more exciting than dressing up and running out and getting candy and having that kind of energy where you just need to go, go, go. And, like, you're right about that. Like, this is the adventure that they'll talk about for the rest of their lives. And I feel like Stephen King can do that, too, to a certain extent with Stand By Me, those kind of stories. I know you're not a big Stephen I'm King I'm not going to talk about Stephen King because we're on the time restraint. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, 
stuff like Stand By Me has that feeling too, where it's like very sad and bittersweet when you look back at stuff. Although Ray Bradbury is much sweeter and Stevie King is much darker in a lot of aspects. Even though this is dark and scary and there are, feel like there is stakes to be had here. Yeah, there are stakes to be had in it. Um, Ray Bradbury is, like, there's that saying, like, you know, there's going to be that time where you and your friends go out to play for the last time and you never know it's going to be the last time. That, that yeah. to me, is a plot of Bradbury's children's stories when he's writing for that. It's like these children come of age and they don't know that they've come of age until much later in life. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, and I think this one is very, I mean, they're, they're essentially faced with like the mortality of their friend dying and, and they're not even aware that their friend is dying until more or less the end of the film. Yeah. It's really a nice story and I think mm-hmm. it's a perfect Halloween movie and perfect for kids. Yeah. In, in a lot of ways. It's like a movie that actually challenges kids to think and, and at the end, the kids do the right thing. And it's just touching. I really liked it. Yeah, it's it was very, very touching. Very and the animation's really good. I think mm-hmm. it was just probably one of the better Halloween movies I saw. And Derek, this was a Patreon pick. Derek Bourgeois picked it. Derek B. picked a pretty good one. So, mm-hmm. uh, thanks. And uh, really love this one. Good stuff. And I'm glad I finally got to watch it. I'll have to buy this one later. I rented it on Amazon. Pumpkin tree. No, a Halloween tree. The pumpkins on the tree were not mere pumpkins. Each had a face sliced in it. Each face was different. Every nose was a weirder nose. Every mouth smiled hideously in some new way. A thousand grimaces and twice times a thousand glares of fresh cut eyes. Each blink held the remnant holiday spirit of years gone by. Pipkin, where are you going? We're over here. Why is he going up the tree? Oh, bother. Now stay off of there. Hey, 
Okay, this one's going to be super short. Uh, Dustin Mills for a Patreon pick this month picked Garfield's Halloween Adventure. And I mean, really, what can I say about a 30-minute uh, cartoon uh, that is, you know, very child-friendly? I mean, I remember watching Garfield. This is going to be barely a review, to be honest. I remember watching Garfield um, when I was a kid on television and enjoying it. And I don't know if I ever saw this uh, this kind of like 25-minute Halloween short, but it's really great. Uh, Garfield and Odie, they basically go out and uh, they go trick-or-treating and they get on this boat and they end up going to this weird haunted house where this old man kind of tells them this this legend about pirates after their gold and they kind of have to run away and everything. And it captures the spirit of the Halloween really well. There's some good gags. There's, of course, some Garfield, very funny dialogue here and there and whatnot. Enjoyed that. Uh, and, of course, Garfield comes around to the spirit of Halloween and it has a nice little happy ending. There's a really good gag in here where Garfield is running around and Odie and they're lifting up masks and every, they're getting scared of all the costumes costumes and they lift up one and it's just the same thing underneath. Lots of funny gags like that. The dialogue is hilarious. I mean, Garfield is very charming and it's very clever and it's a perfect thing to show your kids around Halloween. I know this is probably like a minute review, but I, I don't know what else to say about it. The animation at the time, it, it looks, you know, cheap and older, but I've always kind of enjoyed that kind of animation, to be honest. It's not necessarily cheap. It's just a product of its time and I enjoy it, but I mean, I was so used to watching Looney Tunes that I feel like Looney Tunes animation is so much better. But yeah, uh, just, just, um, you know, really welcomed addition to Halloween and I never had seen it. So it was nice to check that out. Uh, it does have spooky atmosphere and I think it'd be good for kids to approach it. And, um, what kind of world does Garfield live in when there's like humans walking over? There's like cats and I don't, I don't know. It's like that Disney kind of way where it's like there's humans and animal human things. And then just animals at the same time. It's like, whatever. But, uh, Garfield's Halloween adventure. It's a night of spooky surprises. Oh, Halloween. For America's favorite fat cat. Don't bat your eyes. Garfield's Halloween adventure will have you shaking in your boots Monday. Okay, the next one is a Patreon pick from Jonathan Wilhelm, and it is Doll Factory. This one is a fairly new movie. I think this is the one that had the big stink from Charles Band, like, they're stealing my dolls poster or whatever. Whatever. It's nothing like doll, um, demonic toys or dolls or whatever like that. Maybe closer to demonic toys. But, okay, what we have here is a movie that takes place on Halloween. It's a little creature, so I was like, I'm in. And this one tonally is all... I don't even know what to say about it. In a lot of ways, they're like have people get killed and make jokes and just do outrageous, ridiculously stupid things and then kind of have like bad effects and then good effects and it's all over the place. But um, at the end of the day, it was kind of enjoyable. What we have here is a, a cop and a couple cops and this uh, this old guy who can speak like, uh, what is it, I don't, Latin is it What in the book? And in the very opening, there's like an adult uprising in this factory. They're running around and killing everybody and it's in the 70s, I believe, and they end up putting an end to it. Um, putting the doll, sending them back to hell, and there's some weird kind of Russian guy that did it in his doll factory. Fast forward to modern times, some kids somehow got the book, they go to the factory to do a seance, and they bring the old weird Russian factory owner who brought these dolls uh, back to life end of the dolls back to life and chaos ensues. Um, the first time that somebody picked up the doll and was looking at it like this and I thought that they were doing the fake voice and making the doll talk but it really is the doll. Definitely inspired by like Dolly and not Dolly Dearism, demonic toys uh, oopsie daisy and it was just like yeah, let's do it. And I was like, is that the doll's real voice? Because they're like mouths don't move and everything like that. Now, I don't really hate that because I've done the same damn thing. But uh, yeah, I imagine this movie is a little bit more expensive than my movies. But uh but at times the dolls are cheap and they're funny. So 
The dolls run amok and kill a bunch of people. The digital effects particularly aren't very good when it comes to the blood splatter on the digital effects, but there are some decent practical effects with heads being ripped off and gore and splatter and everything like that. Of course, the kids try to get the sheriff, who's still alive from the past. He's an absolutely ridiculous character, over the top, but kind of made me laugh. And they somehow recruit the guy who, uh, this crazy kind of uh, African-American guy who helped them originally too. Like the cop and this guy, they're both just crazy people and they're over the top and ridiculous but they end up trying to stop the dolls as well. And the kids get picked off here and there. There's a nerdy little brother who's ab of the gir main girl in here who's absolutely ridiculous, and he has this weird, stupid sword. Um, this movie, honestly, I was like, it's losing me at times because it, it feels almost maybe like a leprechaun movie or something at times, like so stupid, but also not even grounded enough to be a leprechaun movie. Like, uh, it's just absolutely ridiculous. A lot of the characters are super lame and just nonsensical, but there's some really funny, dumb moments that just made me laugh out loud and shake my head like i really liked half of it and the other half i was like this is just ugh, i don't know like totally it's, it's all over the place like it'll be have people killed and it kind of be serious and you'll kind of be feeling bad for people and then it would get really stupid so it's just like eh, like that but it, it's really just kind of like a small little creature film that's going out to be fun and, and do some things that are silly and whatnot and it does that pretty well so at the end of the day it is what it is and it's kind of enjoyable i'm not gonna lie and the guy who played the Russian ghost at the very end pops up, and he was so good. He was chewing the scenery, but in all the right ways. He was cracking me up. Uh, he was probably the best performer in the movie, to be honest. He was top-notch. Uh, loved him in the movie, to be honest. The guy who plays the Russian factory, he was really good, and he, he played it t perfect. So that made it go up a little bit to me. I uh, spotted a couple of faces in here that I recognized. Uh, the director of Conjoined, uh, he was in this one. I believe he was involved with the Haunted Trailer park of horror something like that uh what's his name joe Grizz grizzly i can't think of his last name but he was in this he actually helped produce it so i believe this was a texas independent movie so if you're looking for something to watch that's cheap and kind of fun on halloween uh put it out around put it on in the background and i think you'll enjoy yourself i rented it on amazon uh prime it was like four dollars or something like that but there's a couple things i enjoyed a couple things i'm like hey whatever but it's just kind of down the middle for me a little bit more because i bumped it up a little bit more than that because i really enjoyed the uh the Russian bad guy at the end. You don't think this is a bit much? Dude. Guys, look. It's fine. There's there's like a whole room full of them over there. It's okay. This place must have been a doll factory. Okay, in order for this to work, everyone has to do exactly what I say. Alright. All join hands. Jam to be Malan Spiritus. Derek, don't touch that! You like that, you dirty Get the hell out of here! Okay, the next Patreon pick is The Witching Hour from my boy Keith Voigt Jr. This is a redemption uh, disc right here. 
And I really had not heard much about this movie, except I think that at one point he told me it was batshit crazy. And I had it, the disc sitting here. So I was like, all right, let's let's pick this one up. And this was made in like the late 90s, early 2000s. I, so it's like, it's definitely like a Tarantino cash-in. So all the characters are like trying to be hip and cool. And it's like a Belgium movie at the same time. So like they'll freeze and say who all the characters are and it'll pop up real quick. And you're just like, I don't care about any of this. So like the dialogue's trying to be hip and they have all that going on. But then at the same time, uh, it's just completely insane. Like there's action. The plot of this movie, I don't necessarily even know how to explain. They send five guys who are all like kind of these like really, uh, you know, good hitmen that all have different specialities. And they all are sent in to retrieve this stone from this rival gang. And this rival gang is supposed to be ex- executed um, because they did something dark and awful. And the leader of the gang that's sending in the five has one of his kids and his cousin going in on the mission at the same time. So essentially they all go in and uh, at first they're killing all the people, just shooting them. I've never seen so many bullets get fired or people just standing out in the open doing this, not getting shot and hundreds of people fall down. Um, There's some digital stuff going on here. And like I was going to say earlier, it's shot at that early 2000s time. So the camera is abysmal. It's like a a low grade shitty digital camera and it's dark and just doesn't look particularly great. So uh, they basically start a massacre with all these people, kill them. And then some weird dark guy comes in and like this weird kind of demon steals the gem from them they chase after them they end up going to this lair hotel apartment complex from hell they run into all these like backwoods kind of texture chainsaw massacre ripoffs zombies witches all trying to get this eye they're getting picked off it's bloody it's chaotic it's violent it's weird and did i mention the editing is super fast paced and super fast cuts and almost jarring and ridiculous and um i would say experimental and it's weirdness they'll like five cuts in like a second stuff like that well half a second cuts and stuff and people falling down and the 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 tons and tons of fighting and karate and weird stuff and i don't even know what to say completely politically incorrect kind of humor that's just nonsense like i said when they bump into this leatherface family there's like 10 of them you have like grandpa and then you have like a leatherface style one you have a guy in a bear suit i don't know what's going on with that you have one that is African-American that doesn't know he's African-American and all the other ones are racist. There's one with a not, uh, you know, swastika. Then you have like your typical hillbilly and then one that's a cross-dresser. So it's like you got all these different kind of things of Leatherface, like the cross-dressing one and then the one with the chainsaw, kind of all like in as in like a Leatherface type character, but they're all spread out. I don't know. There's one wearing a, a skin, of course. The black guy's wearing the skin to look white. It's just a ridiculous, inept, kind of on-PC, weird thing going on here. Um, a lot of the guys, are the characters aren't particularly great or likable, but a couple of them you become attached to towards the end of the movie. And the witches are really cool. I was kind of surprised when they came out and they're like the witch of darkness. And they'll come in and they'll just have these giant fight scenes and elaborate fight scenes in here. And the movie just goes on for way too long. It's a damn near two hours of crazy uh, action and blood splatter. This is a movie that's probably not very good on paper, but I wish, or I mean, not even on paper, but I mean, not very good in general. But it's one of these deals where it has so much ambition. It was made at such a time that it had so many setbacks just due to the time it was made because the camera and everything like that. And uh, has so much crazy things going on for it that I ended up enjoying it. And I know I have no, I really shouldn't be enjoying it and I can't really recommend it. But this is so much up my alley in a lot of ways because I grew up at a time when I was like 13, 14 watching a lot of these kind of movies like shot on video and low budget movies like by Eric Stanzi. Of course, Eric Stanzi's movies have a better, you know, more 
can uh, you know and that story it makes they make a lot more sense this is more inept than his stuff and like so i grew up with a lot of those kind of things watching them and uh i've always kind of had a soft spot for that kind of filmmaking so in some ways i really like this in other ways i'm really annoyed by it but i would recommend it if you like what i like and i think you know who you are the witching hour <laughs> Non, laissez tomber, je maîtrise. Mon père va te voir. Il a un boulot pour toi. Tu dois bien juste au bout, ça s'appelle à moi. Apparemment. Pas le seul sur l'affaire. Pourtant, je croyais avoir été clair. Si tu me touches, je te tue. Capiche Je t'avais prévenu, connard. C'est pour ça que je vous ai choisi. C'est quoi la mission en question Elle est toute simple. Il suffit de dérober une pierre précieuse. Fouler un caillou, tout le monde peut le faire. Alors ça y est, mission accomplie ah. Ben félicitations, c'est le padré qui va être content. C'est un, on retrouve ce malade. Deux, on lui fait la tête au carré. Trois, on ramène le caillou au padré. Et tu comptes le retrouver comment cet enfoiré hein Il est pas bien loin. Il est pas très loin.
Okay, the next Patreon pick was from Chris Rivers, and he picked The Phantom Carriage. I watched this on the Criterion channel. I ended up making an account and ordering it. But, okay, The Phantom Carriage. Yes, I heard a lot of things about this movie. 1921, Scandinavian, I believe Swedish um, film. It's damn near two hours long. I know the guys, the boys over at 22 Shots love this one. And I was watching this, and uh, at first I was like, okay. Um, and then it sucked me in about the 15-minute mark, and I was entranced by it. It's a silent film. In 2007, they went ahead and made this kind of, uh, I guess, experimental soundtrack to it, and that really works. So you have the cards pop up, and there's translations, and the structure of the story is insane. It opens up with this guy telling these two people on New Year's Eve uh, about this story about his last New Year's Eve where this guy came in. Or a couple years, he comes in and he tells him this story about a friend of his, and it goes with a flashback within a flashback. And I was like, "That's a big no-no." I mean, think Night of, uh, Night of the Demon, the uh, Bigfoot movie. I'm like, "That's nonsense." So it does the flashback within a flashback, and you learn about this guy who tells him a story about the Phantom Carriage, who the person who died on the last day of New Year, the last day of the year, must for a year go around and welcome everyone into death. But a day in the life of this guy seems to last 100 years. So basically, it's a punishment. And they kind of feel like they deserve it because, you know, the last person to die of the year usually is someone they pick. Like, it's like kind of faith, I guess. Fate. So what happens is uh, it goes back to the guy who's originally telling the story. And you learn that through his story, basically, that um, they tell him, his friends say, well, so-and-so wants to meet you. Uh, she's on her deathbed. We have this storyline going on. This lady who works at Salvation Army who's on her deathbed wants to talk to him because uh, it's been a year since she saved him. And we flash back and we see that this bum who's originally telling the story is nothing but the biggest scumbag ever. This drunkard had had a family and a brother and he corrupted his family and he did all sorts of things. And, uh, basically he gets in an argument with these two guys and they, they, they kill him. So the person, and he tells the story of the guy who originally told him the story is the one who comes to pick him up in the phantom carriage because that guy died shortly after he told him that story on new year's Eve, a couple years back. So it's super weird that the guy who told him the story comes to, he's telling these guys the story and then he gets killed. And the guy who told him the story comes to collect, his soul and tells him now you're going to have to do this for um, the next year and he upsets him and he kind of turns into a Charles Dickens story where it goes into his past and we hear kind of everything about his life so you know the ghost story kind of deal Christmas story sorry Charles Dickens Christmas story so that kind of happens and we go through his life and you start to despise this person he's such a bad person that he coughs in people's faces when he's sick and he says why should they not be sick they're not better than me and I'm just like oh my god such an awful piece of shit so we go through his whole kind of life and we realize what he's done to his family and all sorts of things and why the Salvation Army lady ties in with his life. And it's really well made. It's really well acted. It's really torturous. Um, uh, the lead actor is tremendous in that he's such a monster, but he has this great emotion in his face and he's such a prick. Uh, I really enjoyed a lot of it and how it looks and the special effects. I'm watching it, how they do the ghost. And I'm like, I don't know why they ditched this because this looks better than like CGI to me. And it looks better than a lot of stuff. I, I just really like how the ghosts look. It looks haunted. It looks perfect, and the music's really well done at the same time. Uh, like I said, it's, it's damn near two hours. It doesn't wear out its welcome. It's not very boring, but I do wonder if they cut out the cue cards and just put the um, you know subtitles over like the action, if it would be any different. I'm not 100% sure. It would probably change, you know, the pacing, of course, would change, but I don't know if it would work or not. It could, you know, save some time. But 
I ended up really liking it, of course. Although at the very end of the movie, I do have one minor quibble. Uh, they kind of went straight up uh, Alcohol's Anonymous, basically. It's like a run for, you know, Alcohol's Anonymous at the end of this thing. Uh, and I wish that they wouldn't have pulled their punches. And I know it's probably an uh, old story that they've told dozens and dozens of times. It's in the folklore. But I really would have liked to have the uh, downer ending. I think it fit better, and I think it would be more impactful to the audience. But, like I said, this feels like um, a Christmas story by uh, Charles Dickens in a lot of ways, just kind of the past. And that's the most depressing part of that, mo that and saddest part of that book and story in general. But I would recommend checking this one out. Uh, obviously, it's a classic. Um, Criterion released it, and there's been lots of talk about it. And it's kind of like a forgotten classic that was rediscovered. And for good reason. It's really has some great special effects for the time and even today I enjoyed them and great acting and it's a great story and structurally it's different but somehow works very well. time it is hammer time that's right this one is what episode 24 of hammer time i don't know we're getting close to the halfway mark uh this is the witches 1966 i think next week is frankenstein created women or <laughs> woman so yeah this one is directed i can't even remember the director's name but this is his first hammer it's one, a new one it? yeah, yeah it's a new director and i don't think any of these people were in any hammer movies at least in a big role yeah we put this on 
and it starts with like a Haitian voodoo style storyline of this lady trying to save lives in uh, that kind of environment. And like we have the big like kind of mask and all that stuff. And I was like, I thought this was going to be, uh, you know, a medieval or what's, what's a colonial time witchcraft movie. I was really looking forward to some classic witch stuff around Halloween. And we're getting this stuff, the jungle kind of style deal, which feels very much like inspiration for zombie or inspired by white zombie. But then it jumps in and I was like, thankfully, thank you. And we have this woman who is a teacher. Yeah, um, the opening, I, I hated it. I didn't want to watch it. I know, so I was like, very It felt like Johnny Quest to me. Like, you know, I, I'm, you know, a co- colonist, and I'm, you know, educating these savages. I'm like, what is going on, Britain? I, I mean, like, I know that's your history. The, the yeah, witches, I'm like, this isn't right. Yeah, voodoo and witches don't go together to me. I mean... Sort of, but not really. Sort of, but when I think witches, I, I mean, do it's think... under the subcategory of cult, but... Yeah, I guess. So what um, happens is it, it changes pace for sure. Yeah, very quickly, and I feel this, this is movie, a fantastic movie. I feel this movie's way ahead of its time. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it inspired stuff like The Wicker Man. Mm-hmm. I feel like it inspired Midsommar. I feel like yeah. it inspired a lot of those kind of deals with cults. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's perfect. I think yeah. it's, a, I mean, it's not perfect, but it's very good. So she moves in. She gets a job offer from this, what she thinks is a priest. Yeah. She thinks he's a priest. He gives her a job offer to come to the small town and teach the kids and be the headmaster teacher. She had just suffered a mental breakdown from obviously almost being like attacked in this kind of weird environment. So she's kind of unstable. And right away you realize she's very unstable the way she talks to the uh, priest. priest. And the priest gives her the job anyway. So you're like, mm-hmm. that's weird. She ends up going to this small town where everybody is overly friendly, but nothing's quite right, like all small towns are in movies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that that nice little thing, but underneath the surface, there's something dark. Right. So, basically, she realizes this is a a non-religious place. Mm -hmm. She becomes friends with the uh, fake preacher's uh, sister close to her and mm-hmm. she starts teaching and there's a pair of students in there that are like lovebirds and everybody in the town wants them separated for some odd reason aggressively wants them right. separated and soon you learn she starts to dig deeper and thinks there's something occult witchcraft going on with like dolls voodoo dolls so there's that in there mm-hmm. but then at the same time you really don't know because her mind could be very easily warped yeah she could be broken i mean she did have a mental breakdown in the beginning of the film and then stuff happens later on and you're like oh what's where's this movie going what is this and there's a very weird turn in here about uh almost half a little over halfway where it leads into the final act of the movie where she is actually hospitalized for something and you're like what, what, what's gonna happen here yeah and she and, and it's really weird yeah she's great in it She's tremendous in it. Yeah, it's um, I can't think of her Joan name right Fontaine now. or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, Joan Fontaine. She's really Fantastic. good in this. She's good in this, and uh, the sister of the uh, preacher, I can't think of her name, is actually great. So I can't She's remember really their last good. name. And actually, one of the highlights is the the grandmother of the little girl who they're trying to keep separated mm-hmm. is tremendous as well. Miss Mrs. Uh, Granny Briggs or Riggs or something like that. Yeah, Granny Riggs. something. I think Figs. it's Riggs. I think it's Figs. Granny Figs. Friggs? Frigs or something like figs or frigs. Yeah. She's really creepy and awesome in here too. Yeah. But essentially you figure out that there's some under deep weird shit going on in this town. You don't know who's in on it and who's not. And the people who you don't think aren't in on it, the one who helps her. I was like, oh, that was a nice little surprise there. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, full of surprises. I don't want to give any of them away. Cause I really think that 
you should watch this. The color palette on this movie is beautiful. Yeah, it looks very, very good. This mm-hmm. is probably Shout Factory's best looking Blu-ray of the bunch. Mm-hmm. I think Dracula didn't look very... I think it looked like shit, if you want to be honest, for yeah. a, uh, for expensive Blu-ray like that. I didn't think it looked particularly great. I thought the reptile looked okay. I think this is by far their nicest looking Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great looking movie. I've, I'm sure they're dealing with the masters they get. They can't control everything, yeah. you know? But I think they did a good job with this. I think the color palette's great. It's like very colorful. It's not like the dark stuff because the town's beautiful. It's right. Got a great location. Yeah. It's not like a, it's not your typical Hammer movie. It's like this is Dracula's castle. This is Rasputin's castle. This right. is so and so's graveyard or behind the Baskersfield's graveyard. This is the swamp the mummy's in, and also the swamp so and so's in. It it doesn't look like any Hammer movie's been shot here so far. Well, this is a, a contemporary, yeah, relatively um, piece. So I mean, you know, it's it's more English countryside, little cottages, small hamlets. Um, it's not the gothic horror that, you know, yeah. I think Hammer is more and this is known what, for. I mean, usually their contemporaries are black and white. This one is not. Yeah, this isn't the first one, though. There no, was no, a, no, there's a couple now. Yeah. But there, a for a long time, there was none. Yeah, there's absolutely none. Like, their Nobody budget was... No, but I just wonder if they did that on purpose. It's so weird that the gothic was in color and the contemporary was right. black and white. But this time it's switched. Uh, there's some weird sexual things in here. Some weird course, sexual with the, stuff. With the kids. Mm-hmm. But I, I would recommend this one. I don't want to spoil too much. There's a couple deaths in here that are really sad. Yeah, but, yeah, there's a few deaths that you don't see coming. Um, I don't recognize anybody from this from prior Hammer. Yeah, they probably films. they seem like bigger actors than Hammer. A lot of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not mean, saying um, people in Hammer. There's a lot of good Hammer big actors too. But you right, know what I mean? yeah. Like they're not Hammer regulars yet. Right, yeah. So I don't know if these guys are going to show up again. I thought the cast was amazing. A lot of older people in this one. I thought, it's adult horror. Is adult like horror. Yeah, yes. I mean, the protagonist, the teacher, I mean, she's in her 40s, 50s, maybe. Maybe yeah. not 50s. Yeah. That might be pushing it. Um, thought it was great. And then the end, there's almost like a crazy, I don't want to say orgy scene, but it kind of is. The really. ending, like when I look at the ending and I think of the ending to Midsummer, they, they parallel each other. And I think I like this one a bit more. And I think Wicker Man, too. I've never seen Wicker Man. To a certain extent. Christopher Lee's in Wicker Man? Yeah. Okay. You should watch The Wicker Man. It's really good. I'll see it later. I'll see it 30 years. <laughs> it ain't going anywhere. But uh, I would recommend checking this one out. This is mm-hmm. one of the better Hammer movies, I think. Um, looks great, too. The Blu-ray had some special features on there. Had interviews with a bunch of the Hammer ladies, which is really fun. Uh, I would check this one out for sure. Dig it. Um, I think next week, like I said, Frankenstein created a woman. And if it's not, it'll be right along here. But We didn't rate it. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's not. Did I check the books? I don't know what you did. We didn't check the books. I was mowing the lawn all day, but so I looked like I'd look. <laughs> So there might be a pause here. I'm going to rate it. I'm going to give it 3.75 out of 5. Okay, I will give it 4 out of 5. And now we're going to take a quick break because I'm going to look for the books. If not, that trailer's going to roll. Fetish men. Black witchcraft as real as an African nightmare. Ah! Academy Award winning Joan Fontaine, star of some of the screen's most memorable motion pictures, slants a new angle on the story of the witches, the devil's own disciples. Let me pass. I've got to phone the police. It's my spell set. He's dead. Witches, the devil's own. They live in the dark, superstitious jungles of Africa. Who 
are the witches. I saw it. You saw what? She stuck Linda's hand in the rollers and turned the handle. What? She put Linda's hand in the mangle. Starring Joan Fontaine as the head teacher, target of the witch's cunning in two continents. Stephanie, where are you? This is the journalist with an inside knowledge of witchcraft. Witchcraft? Hmm. Somebody having a little dabble? Yes, I would think so. It's a sex thing deep down, of course. Mostly women go in for it. The rector without a church in a village without hope. Did Stephanie tell you about me? About my not being a priest? The witches, the devil's own. Who are they? The witches know, but witches don't talk. They could be dressed in the skin of a butcher, disguised in the innocent garb of old Mrs. Rick. Go after her. Who are the witches? They hypnotize the innocent, bedevil the unsuspecting. guys we're going to hop into the questions and i didn't read these before so there's going to be a lot of confusion probably nick mool you watch a lot of foreign films which language would you want to be able to learn slash understand overnight in order to better enjoy these features italian because there's probably a lot of italian movies that are never translated and not italian it would probably be japanese does the opinion of the movie critic matter to you i quite enjoy mark commode's movie reviews and i found that his comments are often accurate Yes, they do. Um, there's some critics I enjoy, some people I like to listen to on podcasts, and like if I hear some of them say they liked it, I'll be like, I trust them. But if there's somebody that I don't like or I don't agree with, I'll listen to what the, they say because that can be interesting to me. I just, if they say it's bad, I still won't not seek it out. You know what I mean? So that does somewhat matter to me. And I think you find somebody, I try not to like really be that critique that much about movies i just kind of generally say what they are or what i liked and things like that or what i disliked i guess that's critiquing or but regardless i want the people listening to know if they'll like it more than what i think of it and uh some people do that and i do appreciate that but there's certain critics out there that i really enjoy like i like the shockwaves guys 22 shots exploding heads there's a lot of them out there pure cinema i listen to what they say and a lot of the times i agree with them uh on stuff i have seen and if i don't you know what i mean like and if they talk about something i haven't seen and they like it and we usually match up i'll check it out yeah so it does matter to a certain extent but like when i think of roger ebert and gene siskel when it came to horror movies or comedies comedies is kind of so subjective i guess everything is but especially comedies i never took their opinion seriously especially on horror movies i'm just like they don't like anything um which horror deceased arthur would you want to have on your show for halloween poe lovecraft uh arthur machin um geez i don't know if i'm qualified to interview these people to be honest i don't think i'd want to i think i would just be like i don't i'd want somebody else who's better at it to give them a shot to be honest because i would want to do miles and miles of research before i had a chance to interview somebody who's died i mean you know what i mean you know that's like a that's like a, a not ever going to happen. And if I had the chance, I would not want to screw it up. So I would definitely want to do a lot of research beforehand. And then I would think about who I'd like to talk to. So I need to do research. I need to know the circumstances and I don't, I'd have to really know. 
it was going to happen. And then uh, from I asked last week, what was your favorite horror anthology that isn't Creepshow or Trick or Treat? Even though some people answered Creepshow or Trick or Treat, I'll let it slide. Jonathan Wilhelm from these are the patrons go first. I'll read them. Jonathan Wilhelm from A Whisper to a Scream, Tales from the Dark Side, Grim Prairie Tales, Trilogy of Terror One and Two. Love those that I've seen. Uh, love when Whisper to a Scream movie terrified me as a kid. Claire Bear, minus Trick or Treat. Sam is just too damn cute. I know we all love Trick or Treat though. That's why I was trying to get a couple different ones. But hey, I'll let it slide. Jason Willard, favorite horror anthology that's not Creepshow or Trick or Treat. Mine would be Tales from the Hood. Great one. Great one. From Twitter, we have Matt Wolf, The House That Drip Blood, The Dingus, Tales from the Crypt, Bruise Plays Badly, I'm Watching Tales from the Dark Side, It's Damn Good, and Chuck Connery, Tales from the Hood. Some good ones there. Let's go. We got a bunch here. We have some from YouTube. Front Desk Matt, um, I can actually say I remember the whole anthology, but looking it up, I guess it's Tales from the Crypt, the final segment where I believe a bunch of blind people in a home take revenge on the guy running the place by constructing a maze around him, which ends with his dogs eating him. You know me when it comes to mazes, puzzles, and death traps. That's my thing. Took me forever to find what movie that was, by the way. Love Tales from the Crypt. Like I said, that's my favorite one, too. And the one with uh, Peter Cushing is just like, oh, God, that's perfect. Um, Zach Nolan, The Monster Club. Love it. Price, Cushing. I mean, not, no, it's Price, Carradine, Pleasance. Adam Watson, my favorite anthology picture, it's not the two that you said, uh, is definitely the amicus version of Tales from the Crypt. Uh, Nick Mula, anthology movies are tough to grade. Not all the short features work, and they can slow, solely the whole thing. Still, there are some great beauties among them. Tales from the Crypt, Thousand of Drip Blood, and From Beyond the Grave. Indeed, I have a major Jones for amicus, amicus Productions. These films managed to land so much great acting talent, and more importantly gave said thespians interesting roles that they enjoyed playing. Lastly, H.P. Lovecraft's Necromonicon. Quite a ghoulish collection of scary tales, especially the cold featuring David Warner. Indeed, in far too many genre films, no matter the length, good performers are forced to make a silk purchase out of a pig's ear, and it doesn't always work. Um, I love Necromonicon. I think that's a really cool one. And you get um, uh, Jeffrey Combs as, a, uh, as Lovecraft. Uzi Suicide 666. Three Extremes or Body Bags. For favorite anthology. And then we have from Facebook. Mark Humphreys. Probably an amicus film. Tales in the Craft would be my favorite. Uh, closely followed by The House That Drip Blood and Asylum. John Sims. Not really horrible. My favorite anthology has always been Amazing Stories. Uh, Ned Christian. He gives a few. Tales in the Dark Side. And the Twilight Zone movie. Which apart from the helicopter tragedy is underrated and often forgotten. Those last two stories were outstanding. Lee Bishop. Uh, one of the two creep shows. Morgan Suzik, The Offspring from A Whisper to a Scream, a.k.a. one of Vincent Price's last films. Peggy Small, Tales from Halloween, Body Bags, Trilogy of Terror, VHS, Campfire Tales, and The Theater Bazaar, a few I enjoy. Ryan Matthew Ziegler, Vault of Horror, The Monster Club. It's about time someone gives Vault of Horror some love. Joe Whittle, Campfire Tales. Anthony Carosa, uh, Grozia. Let me know how you say your name. Um, House That Drip Blood and Two Evil Eyes. Going to the next page. Nick Anderson, Vault of Horror, Tales from the Dark Side, J.J. Mealy, Tales from the Dark Side, ABC's of Death, Cody Lee Harden, Tales from the Hood is number one. I love Tales from the Hood. Justin Burning, how about Creep Show 2? Uh, that, Tales from the Dark Side, VHS 2, and Tales from Halloween, Tales of Halloween. Amy Mead, Twilight Zone the Movie, Marcus Cook, The Willies. I love the willies. Tom Brunner, Tales from the Dark Side, Body Bags. That has more to do with uh, my Deborah Harry obsession than the actual quality of either film. Otherwise, it would be the Amicus Vault of Horror and Tales from the Crib. 
Love those. Jason Fetters, Tales from the Crypt, the 1972 movie. Alex Powers, From a Whisper to a Scream. I'm, I'm glad to see a lot of love from A Whisper to a Scream. I believe that when Scream put that out, it was getting some recognition it deserved because that movie is really cool and all the stories are good. Corey Zunk, Slimy Little Bastards. Brian Papandrea, Can I Pimp Out Beyond the Valley of Belief? Asking for Myself. Sure you can. That's a very funny one. Ryan Vincent Logston, The Theater Bazaar. J.P. Schott, Tales from the Hood. Dustin Mills, Tales from the Hood, Tales of Terror, Tales from the Tales from the Hood, Tales from the Dark Side, Tales of Tales of Tales of Tales. Get it. Uh, Ariel Payne, I love Southbound. That was a good one. Icarus Finn, Body Bags. Stanley Isman, I really like Tales of Halloween. Anthony Francis gave a top ten. Uh, I always have a problem with this word. Uh, Quadon, Quanadon. Ah, jeez, I just heard it said out loud today. I'm a moron. The Japanese one. It's really my my fault. 1964. Quadon, Quadon, Quadon. There we go. Creep Show, Dead of Night, the 45 version, I believe. Black Sabbath, Trick or Treat, Trilogy of Terror, Tales from the Hood. It goes on to the next page. The House That Drip Blood, Tales from the Crypt, Asylum. Uh, Paul Andalina. Uh, Mexico Barbar Barbario, um, which I have not seen. I'm interested in checking out. Sonia Campbell, Black Sabbath. Jordan Bibby, Asylum. House That Drip Blood, Tales from the Dark Side, Tales from the Crypt, Tales from the Hood, Willies, Campfire Tales, Campfire Stories, All Hallows' Eve. Corey Walter, Fear Footage, and The Burning Moon. I don't know Fear Footage. Nathan Thomas Millionaire, Ta Tales from the Crypt is my favorite in horror anthology. Amy Fox Goodwin, Trilogy of Terror. Corey Earns, 1031 in The Witching Season. I need to see The Witching Season. Uh, Basil M. Graham, Night Gallery. That's a good one. Uh, Damon uh, McConnell, not going to say, uh, it's McConnellati, Tales That Witness Madness, Asylum, Black Sabbath, Jason Lloyd, Phobia 1 and 2, need to see those. Brian Dorton, Terror Track, Two Evil Eyes, Theater Bazaar, The Horror Network. Jim Benson, Night Gallery. I love the show and I love the freaking movie. The one with the painting, great one, great, great story. David Hancock, Body Bags. Cody C. Blakemore, Dead Time Stories. From a Whisper to a Scream is up there for me as well. Love Dead Time Stories. Just the opening to Dead Time Stories is all I love. Uh, Jennifer Hellstrom, Trilogy of Terror. Amanda Payton, Body Bags and Tales from the Dark Side. Mikey Mascot, All Hallows' Eve. Zach Puccinelli, Tales from the Hood. The Goat. Tales in the Hood's great. Uh, Jerry Ramsey, In the Last 15 Years Only, Trick or Treat has been really enjoyable. There's some. There's been some other ones. Uh, Bruto uh, Perderita. The Mortuary Tales. BDG Reviews, The Fear Footage, hands down the scariest film of the last decade. David Lewin, Asylum and Three Extremes. Bear Harup, Tales from the Dark Side. Peter England, Black Sabbath, All the Amicus Horror Anthologies, Body Bags, Tales from the Dark Side, Cat's Eye. Jason Limber, Creepshow 2, LOL. Twilight Zone, though, for real answer. Jackie Kelly, The Dungeon Master. Uh, Shazine Barbarian, Tales in the Hood and Body Bags. Trick or Treat is okay, but way overhyped. Shane Glass, The Uncanny. Corella Waring, Theater Bazaar. Twilight Zone, The Movie. She got two. And then last week, I uh, didn't finish Chris Leopard's because it cut off, and I wanted to know what your favorite convention story was and favorite convention. So Chris Leopard, it was going to be 1993 Monster Mania Convention in Cherry Hill, my first. That was a dinky little convention where I found the final script for Pulp Fiction, and I met Linnea Quigley for the first time as well. But because of recent events, I would say Monster Mania Convention 2008. They put it in a bigger hotel and bigger convention center. I got to meet a lot of my heroes. Doug Bradley, Bill Mosley, uh, David Chase, Dan. 
I got to meet Sid Haig, and he was fucking awesome to talk to. Other things I found out was people who will pay over 200 to get a photo with Robert England, and that was 11 years ago. Interesting. Artie Lehman and Betsy Palmer reunited, which I believe happened a lot. I picked up some good movies, and I found my first on Earth films DVD, Rock and Rule. And then Ben Miller has some weekly answers. Uh, I remember this. I believe this is... Uh, from the convention. Have yet to go to a horror con, but I like that they sometimes have cast reunions. Cast reunions. And then he wants to answer for week 25. Um, this is a school question. What movie did you watch in school that you liked? I was forced to watch Willy Wonka so many times, but I grew to love it. And fuck Grandpa Joe. But the best was probably Schindler's List. <laughs> Leave Grandpa Joe alone. But I do love that meme that says he was uh, bedridden for years, causing his family to live in poverty. But right, he jumped right out of bed when he got a chance to go to the candy factory. You're just like, come on. And then week 124, and it was a true crime story um, that he'd like to see made in a movie. A true crime story I want to see made into a film is the Dean Coral murders. But I don't know how filmable that is. And much more the occult-style killings of um, Adolfo Costanzo. We got Borderlands, but I'd like to see something that maybe has more supernatural going on. Two, I feel Henry Portrait of a Serial Killers handled things the right way, even though we can't say for sure how accurate it was. Three, can't think of a film, but I, of the... But I think Time Magazine kind of handled things tastelessly by making it more about putting the killer front and center than the victims. Okay? And I think um, we are... Oh, yes. Let's ask next week's question. Next week's question is... Favorite meal scene in a movie? Is it the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Is it the Hateful Eight eating? All, favorite meal scene in a movie. Okay? And now we're going to hop into the update. Okay, this update is going to be short. We got Scary Movie. 1990, I believe. 91. Unreleased movie. Eggfa Films, can't wait to watch this. Yeah, John Hawks is in it. Looks ridiculous. Looks fun. Um, usually really like what Eggfa does, so yeah. And then we got Hereditary. It was five freaking dollars. I could not pass up the Blu-ray. I know I should get it on 4K. This was a really good movie. Can't wait to revisit, but for five dollars I couldn't pass up that Blu-ray. Yep, it was on Amazon. Uh, the Banana Splits movie was going to be here, but Amazon screwed up, so now I'm waiting. i got to wait to see the Banana Splits. It said it won't ship for like four weeks. I can't wait that long, guys. I need it. Not really. But <laughs> Okay, guys. Take care. All right, guys. Thank you very much for watching, and as always, you guys have a good one. Mm.